Welcome to another episode of Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. There comes a time in every person's career where they will have long resume gaps, either voluntary or by force. When it comes to voluntary, it could be taking a break from work to raise their kids, taking care of a family member with health problems, deciding to take a career break or what people will call a sabbatical, wanting to leave corporate to try entrepreneurship, and then on the by force side, fired or getting laid off. And a lot of professionals struggle to overcome their resume gap. It could be a mental mindset because they think resume gaps are a really bad look. And yes, there will be some recruiters that will choose a candidate that's currently working over someone that's not, but that's not to say that it's impossible to get back to work. COVID has provided a great example of people getting laid off from jobs unexpectedly and able to recover by finding another place of employment. To help me discuss common myths about resume gaps, as well as how to overcome your own resume gap, I have invited Mimi Moss, the Director of Strategic Partnerships at ReachHire, that specializes in helping professionals with resume gaps find a new place of employment. So a little bit about Mimi, she brings an extensive background in elementary education, nonprofit program management, and recruiting to reach higher. During her own career break, she was an active volunteer in her children's school and in the Boston community. She currently lives in Boston with her husband and two daughters. Now let's get into my discussion with Mimi on resume gaps and how to overcome them. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here, Max. So I'll start off with this question here. Fact or fiction, the longer the work gap, the harder it is to go back to work. So that's a loaded question. It really depends on so many factors. It depends on what people define as long. Some people might consider a year a long time. Other people may consider 20 years a long time and everything in between. And then it also depends on what you're looking to do. Right now, there's a pretty tight labor market and there are certain roles that are pretty in, much in demand more than others. And so it really depends on what the climate is and what the what companies are looking for. So there's no easy answer to that question. Um, generally, the longer you're out, the harder it is to get back in. However, that is definitely changing every year. So that's the that's the trend that that we're seeing at ReachHire anyway. So talking about ReachHire, what type of clients do you work with from an work gap perspective? Do you go from like one year to like five years to even 10 years? So reach higher works with people that have had at least a two year work gap. Some companies that we work with where we place returners will be a little bit flexible on that requirement. So they'll consider people that have only had an 18 month work gap. But generally, it, there is no cap. There is no, you know, there's no amount of time that is too long to be out of work as long as it's voluntary and it's 18 months to two years. Okay, so in, in regards to that, there are obviously two work gaps, right? There's ones that voluntarily leave, whether it's for a sabbatical or for health reasons. But then there's also the other aspect of it where they got fired. So how would someone who got fired uh, be able to tell their story in a work gap? 
I think honestly, it's it's all about being transparent, but not getting into too much detail. So I think, you know, look, we've we've all had roles that haven't worked out for one reason or another. And so I think it's okay to kind of own your experience and say, you know what, I was let go from that position. And I'm really excited to hear about this position that I'm interviewing for. I wouldn't you know, give advice for people to go into detail on why they were let go or fired or whatever the term they want to use is, but be really general and high level about it. Typically, an interviewer won't ask you about the circumstances, but if they do, just be really brief and try to continue the conversation. I think that the stigma around work gaps is changing quite a bit. So, you know, people especially right now, so many people lost their job because of COVID or for other reasons. Companies are downsizing and changing and things like that happen all the time. So I always encourage people to be honest, but not to linger too long on that answer. And to elaborate more on this. So Mm -hmm. there's always that debate of if you're very unhappy in your current workplace, whether you're not getting along with your boss or it's a very toxic environment. Some career experts say that it's better just to keep the job and apply because you're more attractive to potential employers when you're already working somewhere. However, mm-hmm. some people just can't take it and they just want to quit, but they fear that it's going to be harder for them to get back into the job market if they quit because then you'll start having that work gap uh, trickle along. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I have always gotten that advice of never, never leave a job without having another one lined up. That is... I don't know that that's always the best case. I think especially if there's a work environment that's unhealthy environment, you may not be in the best mindset to look for another job. So of course, if it's a financial situation where you need to work, that's a whole different ballgame. But if you can't afford to take a little bit of a break, if you're in that type of toxic environment, it may not put you in the best mindset to be able to interview and present your best self in an interview. So I would say that, you know, that's not always the case that you need to have a job lined up. It really depends on on how serious the situation is at your current workplace. But and if certainly if it's a financial situation, then then try to stay as long as you can. But it, it can have a detrimental effect on your mental health. Yeah, because then you're going to start getting desperate interviews and you're not going to perform as well compared to if you just quit and just be clear-headed, then you'll increase your performance at that point. Exactly, yes. In regards to work gaps, when and when should you not put it on your resume? Like, for example, like, I think if it's under a year, you shouldn't put it in. If it's more than a year, maybe add a quick line about it. Uh, What's your opinion and your thoughts on that? Uh, there are many schools of thought about this. We get this is one of our most frequently asked questions of all of the candidates that we talk to. So, of course, when we're at Reach Hire, you have to have a career gap in order to qualify for our program. So, when we give people advice if they're applying for one of our programs, we always recommend add in the gap, or instead of calling it out on your resume, just write the last date that you, you know, that you ended your last role and then the gap is apparent and maybe address the gap in a cover letter. If you are not applying through a program, a returnship program for retire or, or another company, then I think it's absolutely fine to add something at the top of your resume. Say if you have a chronological resume, to add something at the top that says career sabbatical. I always uh, also advise people not to add overly personal details into this section, but it's okay to 
to address that. It just answers the question that most people will be asking like, oh, well, what is this person doing now? Or I don't understand this person stopped working in 2019 and what they, what have they been doing since? So, so I would say maybe one line is probably what I would recommend, but I've seen it done quite a bit. So to add to your point about chronological resumes, there's obviously the other version of a resume, a functional resume. However, it's not recommended. So what's your thoughts and opinion on resumes format between chronological and functional when you have a long work gap? I have to say I'm a traditionalist when it comes to resumes. I love a chronological resume because it tells a story, especially if you have a non-traditional resume, like a gap, right? So I want to know exactly what you've done, when you did it, what your story is um, when told through a resume. Functional resumes can be good for certain types of roles, especially creative roles, things like that. But you know, generally for corporate types of positions, I love a chronological resume. It's very clear exactly how long you did this job. It tells me how much depth of experience you have in each role, at each position, in each industry. And I love to know those specifics because if, if I'm just looking at a resume and trying to make a quick decision, I think that gives me the most information. And speaking of quick decisions, you obviously work with a lot of recruiters. So when they see a work gap that's not mentioned, or they do mention it in the brief line that you said, like what's their first thoughts? Like, do they like discard you or do they rank you lower compared to someone's already working? Like what's, what's the myth behind that? Oh, there's definite bias <laughs> and uh, it exists. It is alive and well. Um, and that is why our company exists, by the way. So it's just to get people past that bias. And it, it, let's face it, if there's a, re a recruiter is looking to fill a job and there's a position that requires X amount of experience, there's one resume where there's a career gap and one resume where there's no career gap and they have equal amount of experience, of course the recruiter is always gonna look at the person without the gap. Unless there's some sort of overarching connection. Maybe they you know, worked at more of a direct competitor and this person who had a gap. Maybe there's some sort of personal connection. Maybe they know somebody and they've been personally recommended. But it's really hard to get past that bias. It is changing because so many people have been displaced because of COVID. So many more people are taking gaps. And like I said, the labor market is so tight. People are having to get really more creative and open-minded about alternative talent. But that that bias is alive and well. I hate to say it, but that's why, you know, we... We have programs like Reach Hire. Cover letters can also be a great way to get past that bias to try to tell a story and to add a little bit more color to your resume. That leads me to the next point, actually. Should you talk about your work gap in brief in a cover letter as well as your LinkedIn profile? I think so. I really think so. I think a cover letter is a great way to casually not, you know, resume is a little bit more of a formal document, but LinkedIn, definitely more of a casual document as well as a cover letter. And it gives you the opportunity to tell your story a little bit. I have this amount of experience. This is what I did. I decided to take a step away from the workforce to raise my children. And I'm now looking to get back in a project manager role, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that there's no doubt about why you took a gap and what that's all about. And it just kind of clears the air and then they're less likely to have to really want to dig in in an interview about all the details. But if you just lay it out there and be honest, I, I think it's great. And and LinkedIn is also great too to talk about your interests, your who you're following, your volunteer organizations. And then I think that there's even more opportunity on LinkedIn for that transparency. 
about the cover letter, there's a debate whether recruiters actually read them or not. <laughs> what's, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? Gosh, I hope they do. I think, you know, sometimes you have to have one. So especially if you're if you're applying for a job online, you it's a mandatory step. So I like to think that they at least skim them, Max. I, I'm very uh, optimistic about this, especially if you're applying through a program. I think that there's extra attention given, but you have nothing to lose by writing one, right? So yes, it's 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 possible that it may not no no one may lay eyes on it, but what if they do? And it could really make the difference in you kind of getting that first interview and not. So why not is kind of my uh, my thought process there. Yeah, put 110% to each job application because you never know, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. You also touched upon about like recommendations. So would networking help close the gap? Because then you're reaching out to like hiring managers, people in the company that are willing to vouch for you, even if you have a work gap? Because I know recruiters, they do quick screenings, right? So they want to find the most qualified candidate. But from a networking perspective, that may help you in terms of closing the work gap uh, that you have. 100%. Networking is the most important part of a job search, in my opinion. Yes, you need to have a great LinkedIn profile, you need a great resume, brush up on your interview skills and your technical skills. But Talking to people and talking to people who know you, who are friends of friends, the more people who know you're looking, the better. Don't be ashamed of it. Uh, Just go right out there and talk to as many people as you can. And any personal connection can make a difference. And they can say, oh, oh, I just, someone might send an email to a recruiter or a hiring manager that says, hey, I, you know, I met this, this woman the other day. She's really bright. And I think she'd be a really good candidate. You know, I highly recommend that you, you know, that you give her an interview. And yeah, I think that if somebody has met you and can vouch for you and can see you as a part of their culture, because that's another thing that they really can't get from a resume is this person going to be a fit for our culture. And that's why they may bring you in for an interview. I think that that would be super, super helpful. As you say, a referral is the strongest job application you can do, right? I really think so. I think, I think that there's, you know, everything is so automated now. It's, you know, the world in recruiting has changed so much over the last 10, 20 years that, you know, you really need any little edge you can. And, and the more you talk to people and have that personal connection, the better. And in regards to work gaps, like what type of work gaps have you dealt with with professionals? For example, like taking care of family, maternity leave, maybe taking a sabbatical. Like what are some common examples that you've worked with clients on in their work gap? So most commonly, our candidates have taken a gap because they've taken care of their children. So their spouse has worked full time and they have decided that one of them will stay home full time. The other most common is that they've relocated to this country and we're waiting for work authorization. Another is uh, they were in the military and are looking to transition to civilian work. Also personal health issues or taking care of somebody in their family that was ill and needed full-time care, usually a parent, sometimes a child, sometimes a sibling. So it really varies. Sometimes people take sabbaticals because they decide they need a break and they want to do something else, you know, so, or they maybe were a small business owner and they did something on the side and they were raising their children, but they did take a step out of uh, full-time corporate work. But yeah, we've seen quite a, quite a few examples, but I would say most, you know, most often it's taking care of family, reloads and um, illness. Going to the, the small business owner. So a lot of people 
there, there comes a time where some people want to try entrepreneurship or be a business owner. So they, they'll try for a few years and whatever circumstance it may be, they want to go back to work, but they think that there might be the stigma or they might be considered flight risk because like once you leave corporate, you might leave again. It, mm-hmm. Is that a myth? I've not seen that. I, I think that might be a little bit of a myth. I think that people who have started their own business and are entrepreneurial are really attractive to companies because they are self-starters. They're not willing to try new things and make mistakes, learn from them and iterate from them. So I, I think that actually reflects really well on a candidate. So on the resume, you shouldn't just say, for example, if I'm in marketing and I started at a marketing agency, I shouldn't say that marketing manager, even though I'm the founder, I should just be honest and just say founder, CEO, right? Yes. Another reason for that also, if you're ever in a background check process, you need to be honest about your title and you need to be honest about what you've done. The last thing you want to do is get caught with, you know, a little white lie about your title. And, you know, that would be such a shame. So yes, definitely be honest about about your your true role. And on the sabbatical side, again, people don't work 40, 45 years straight. Some might want a career break. So again, might not even be taking care of kids. They might just want to travel for a year or two. Their fear, again, is that if they take too long of a sabbatical, it might be a red flag to employers. So is that a myth as well? So I think there is a little bit of bias about that. If someone takes a, if someone takes a sabbatical without having, you know, just because they want to, some hiring managers may say, oh, well, maybe this person doesn't need to work. Maybe this person is, they want to work, but they really don't need to. They don't have the financial need to work. So that is, I I think there is some bias around that. And that may not be true. There may be a whole host of reasons why, you know, you're able to take that sabbatical that are really none of their business. But I think that, again, it's more common now than it used to be. So I don't think the bias is as bad as it was. But yeah, I would say that it may be a little bit tougher the longer you're out to you know, kind of convince somebody like, yeah, I'm ready to get back in full time. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, in an interview that can certainly come through, but the key is getting in the door. So you said tobacco now is a bit more common. COVID-19 obviously laid a lot of people off. So a lot of recruiters are not as, I guess, stingy on the workout. I've actually heard stories where the hiring manager like if you're working in the travel industry and it says that you're not there anymore, like they probably know what happened. So they're not going to get into it. So as things get back to what people are calling a new normal, do you think that recruiters and hiring managers will be less stingent on work apps? Or do you think it'll go back to pre-COVID where they'll start being more picky about work apps? I think they'll continue to be less stringent. I think that there is they're, they're seeing that people can come back from a gap, be really productive, and that is already happening, that that's happening. And now they're, they're realizing that this is okay, this can work. And I do think this will continue just like remote work. I think that people are realizing and company owners are realizing like, oh, my, you know, our, our employees can be just as productive at home. Maybe we don't need to have this office anymore. Maybe we can have a more flexible schedule. And also they're, their employees are demanding it. So similarly, I think that they're realizing that they're finding really great talent with gaps. They can go that route and it will not be detrimental to their business. In fact, it will enhance their business. For the resume, if you identify the work gap, do recruiters still ask you about the work gap or since it's already like plain in sight, they don't bother asking? Well, retire, they don't because everyone has one. So so in our case, it's a little different. Every single candidate has to have a gap. Sometimes they may ask about 
the length of the gap or, well, it looks like they took one, but they were working part-time and they asked for some clarification if folks were doing some consulting on the side or some part-time work on the side, they just want to make sure that they did in fact take a gap. That's why I always recommend like, you know, using that chronological resume, making sure the gap is clear addressing it in a cover letter so that it alleviates any confusion even, you know, before you, you get in the door. But yeah, at Retire, everyone has one. So there's never any question about if they have one or not. <laughs> in a way, getting a return trip is actually easier than like trying to fly like regularly. Yes, it is. And that's because you know, there's the, all of that is taken away, right? So you don't have to worry about people judging you or asking questions or wanting to know all these details about your personal life and what was going on in your life. It's all about, you know, getting that white glove introduction into a company. And then we also talk about the person, not just send a resume, but also talk about the person. We say this person took a gap because of X, Y, Z, and now they're looking to get back in. And here's, here's why they're great for the job. And here's let me tell you about their communication skills, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the, that's what they get when they uh, apply through a retire program. Okay. So if someone hasn't discovered retire yet and they apply on their own and the recruiter asks you what happened at your last job, like let's say the resume doesn't, mm -hmm. there's a work app, but they don't identify it. And they'll ask you like, what happened to your last job? Like how, how much should you divulge? I, I know you talked about this briefly, but how would you probably structure the answer that it gives them what they gives them enough, what they want. Uh, and then yep. pivot to more positive conversation. So an easy, quick answer is I decided to take a break from full-time work in 2019 to take care of my children. And I decided recently to get back to full-time work now that my kids are in school full-time. And I'm really excited to talk to you more about this project management position because I think that my background is perfect for it. And if the recruiter or hiring manager pushes you for more information, like, is there a way for you to stop them without being too confrontational? Or at that point, it's like a red flag. And it's time to not work at that place. Usually, they're, they're really not supposed to do that. I, there, there is a line that you can cross from an HR standpoint that you really can't ask a lot of highly personal questions like that. But sometimes people are curious, like, oh, really? Well, you know, tell me more about that. But, you know, keep your answers brief. Typically, I very rarely hear about an interview where someone is really, really focused on the gap, unless they're just personally curious about someone's business or about, oh, you grew up in Germany? Oh, I did too. Where did you, you know, or something like that. Or you you took a gap and, oh, I did too. And how was it? And what did you do? And did you do any volunteer work? So Unless it's a chit chat, I very rarely hear about about that. But try to keep your answers really brief and to the point. Don't elaborate too too much because, of course, you want to focus your time on the on your skill set and work. You don't want to focus your time on your break. And then you know the the, the interviewer will kind of get the idea, like okay, then time to move on. And or you can ask them a question to try to pivot the conversation, like oh, so how did you, you know, what about my resume interested you? And, and what can I tell you about my, about my background that, you know, that would be helpful to you to try to evaluate my skill set, something like that to try to get them to talk about something else. All right. And going to a more uh, positive part of this conversation, talk to me more about returnships, because I actually never heard about this concept. Is, is it fairly new? Why don't you provide the audience a brief overview of what it is? 
I'd be happy to. So the concept of a return trip is not that new. It is more well-known just in the last few years. So Retire started in 2013 and we offered these return trip programs, but we were one of the first. There are other large companies that started running internal return trip programs. Like for example, I think Goldman Sachs was one of the first to offer them for their former employees who had taken a break and they were looking to come back and they offered these return trip programs. So return trip programs come in all shapes and sizes and varieties. Some are paid, some are non-paid, some are part-time, some are full-time, some are in-house like a Goldman Sachs, for example, or law firms have them. And some are through companies like ours where you apply through us and we send your resume to our client partner company and the client partner company pays all of the fees. So so candidates don't pay anything to be a part of the program. You just simply apply. And the returnship itself is a six month, 40 hour a week paid position. And so what you're doing is you're actually technically working for reach hire. Other returnships may be structured differently where you're working directly for that company. But in reach hire's case, you work for us. So we are your employer of record, but you're working, you're reporting to rather a manager who works for say Wayfair or T-Mobile or one of the companies that we work with. And then that's kind of a trial period. It's a six months to for you to try them and them to try you to see if it's a good fit. And then at the end of the six months, you have the potential to be converted into a full-time position depending on your performance, depending on fit, if everyone you know is happy and it's going really well. And then they can make you a full-time offer and then you become their full-time employee. So if someone reaches out to an agency like yourself, you'd be an employee, they'd be employed for you for the six months as a trial period. And then if you pass, then you actually be converted to a full-time employee at the company. Exactly. Yeah. So how does one go about finding returnships? Is it better to go through an agency like yours or is it better to go to like the companies? Because I know there's some companies like bigger ones that actually have like a returnship page on their corporate website and you can apply through there. What's what's your take on it? So... I would say, which they're both great in different ways. I would say going through a company like ours, an advantage is that you get a lot of support and coaching along the way. For example, you are interviewed by somebody from our company or say whatever agency it is or partner company it is to tell you a lot about like, how this works, some interview tips. We tell you exactly what to expect in an interview. We give you the inside scoop. And then we actually provide a week of onboarding training before you even start your job. So it's, you know, getting used to their systems, getting used to their communication tools, whether they're using Slack or Teams or whatever it is, meeting people in your cohort, just kind of getting you used to being at work again. And of course, being virtual mostly. And then you have a dedicated program manager who checks in with you every month. And we do provide also ongoing training throughout. And we also use a cohort system. So you wouldn't be by yourself. You would be part of a cohort. Cohorts can be anywhere from six to 50 people, all starting at the same time in different positions. So you have a built-in support system of people that are all starting at the same time. And that is a huge advantage to being back at work and asking questions or not feeling like you want to ask your manager a question because you're like, oh, my manager's so busy and I don't want to bother my manager. But you have that support system because going back after a while is is a very unique experience. So there, so that's actually, a, it's a huge advantage to, to going through a third party like us. 
And how does the interview process differ between like a regular interview and a returnship interview? Is, is there a difference? Do they, is there more like testing involved to see that the person's ready to go? Can you elaborate more on that? Sure. So the returnship interview is actually a shorter interview process than, say, a typical interview process. If you're a traditional candidate going or even a returner going through a traditional interview process, it may be longer. If you're a technical candidate, you may need to, you may need to do technical whiteboarding and things like that. So with a returnship, we shorten the interview process. You do an interview with us, first of all, to chat about, like, is this going to be a good fit for you and to get to know you a little bit? And then afterwards, it's usually a one one to two interview process, mostly a one interview process at the client company. So because we've already vetted and screened all the candidates, we only share with them kind of what we call our tier one candidates or our final candidates, and then they decide who they want to interview. And it's a much shorter process. It's also a six month commitment versus a full time commitment. So there, so that way we can shorten that process that it's not as stringent as say a full time kind of interview would be. We're very firm on the technical interviews. We don't want it to get too technical because if you've been on a gap on a gap and you haven't had that most recent technical experience, they understand you're going to be doing a lot of learning on the job. So we try to shy away from those really in-depth technical interviews also. And in terms of salary, is it a lower salary during your six months trial? And then when they convert you to a full-time employee, you get more money? Is that how it works? Or you, you tend to get the, the regular rate um, in your six months and then you convert to a full-time employee regardless? Good question. So the commensurate, the, the pay rate, and you would get paid hourly, is commensurate with what it would be as a full-time position. I would say we it tends to scale on the lower end so that if you are converted, you get a bump up in salary. So we never want people to take a pay cut when they're being converted. So what we do is we base our hourly rate on the salary bands of the client company. So you're not being undervalued, but you're being paid in the same band as you would be if you were a traditional candidate, but rather at the high end of the band, it's mid or lower so that if you, when, and if you are converted, you know, again, you're not taking a, a pay cut. So let's say someone is applying regularly and they have that fear of like negotiating too high because they have that work gap. Should you still negotiate as normal as if you were currently working? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that do your research, look at Glassdoor and salary.com and all the different websites that you can to see what the role would pay in your geographic area based on your experience. And if you're finding that the averages are quite a bit higher than what you're being offered, absolutely. You should negotiate. There's nothing, the worst they can say is no. So you can't, you, you can't get it if you don't ask for it and you will not be looked at in a negative way if you negotiate. What's your advice for someone that has a long work gap, for example, two or more years getting back in the workforce? Like, What's some tips that you can provide to make sure that they are onboarded effectively and they're doing really well at the beginning of their new role? So I guess my first part of advice is be open to learning new things and be humble about what you don't know and be don't be so don't be hard on yourself work is hard if you've had a break or you haven't had a break there are days where you're going to get stuck and there are days where you're not going to know an answer to a question and you're going to feel a little lost and you're going to need a little bit of support and that is okay and understand that not everyone has all the answers all the time every single moment of the day and don't be afraid to ask for help from your cohort from your program manager or if you're not at reach hire your manager, if you have a mentor, make friends with as many people on your team as possible. People are there to help you and 
you know, do not do not be uh, be afraid to ask for that help because it'll it'll just make you better at your job and it'll also forge good relationships with the people around you. And just going back to the explain the work gap quickly, uh, some experts want you to show that you've been like taking courses and stuff, but if you're taking care of family or you're raising your kids, that like, you're not going to like spend that much time on that. So to just be honest saying that I was taking care of my kids and I'm very interested in this role, not add the fluff about like doing these courses. Like, so I, I guess you, you watched some, some quick videos, but like, it doesn't really, it's not really like really learning. Uh, so what, what's your thoughts on that? Like, should someone try to add some proactive stuff to it or do you think it's, it's not necessary? So, I mean, any opportunity that you can upskill is always encouraged. I totally understand. I raised two kids. I understand how time consuming it is. It's a little easier now to do upskilling because there's so much available online. So even if it's one course that you take and it's once a week for a couple of hours, um, anything like that is is valuable to show that you've been working towards a goal. And if not, and if you haven't been able to, that's okay too. Not everybody can, and you're not going to be the only one that's never taken a course while on a work gap. Another thing that you can highlight instead of coursework is volunteer leadership positions. So I know that when I took a work gap, I was the co-leader of my school PTA. And put that on your resume too, because it shows leadership. It shows a whole other skill set apart from what you've done for paid work that will add to your story and is also valuable. So it's different than taking a course in Java or something like that. But but don't discount those things. Those are also part of your story. That's such a good point. So if, if you've been out of work for two years, as an example, you can take some courses and put on your resume and highlight the graduation year or completion year and then volunteering as well, right? Or like doing some side projects and putting that. So it does help mitigate the gap a bit, right? It does. Yeah. Show that you've been busy. You've been doing things that you've constantly been, you know, you have that growth mindset that you like to learn that you, it shows that you're goal, you know, through your actions that your goal has been to get back to work. Again, if you don't have time to do those things, then nobody will, you know, put a red mark on your resume. But any little thing that you do, add on your resume 100%. Should you reposition the work experience based off the other things you've done? So example, if you've been volunteering recently, but you haven't been working in a couple of years, would you put your volunteering experience higher on the resume or it doesn't really matter? I actually don't think you should do that. And I'll tell you why, because I think it can be misleading sometimes when you have your volunteer experience lumped in with your work experience. Some people assume that you were working and that I think it can be a little misleading depending on the way that you put it on your resume. So I typically like to put volunteer experience in a different section and say pro bono or volunteer experience and list it there and the dates and all of that. If you do feel strongly about putting it at the top of your resume, if you're doing a reverse chronological resume, I would make it clear that it was a volunteer position in parentheses and italics somewhere. Uh, it's just so you don't feel like you're misrepresenting your experience. And so, and you're being clear about that. What are some common fears that a lot of professionals reach out to you on in terms of work gaps? And what should they think about when it comes to work gaps or embracing their work gap? So a lot of people reach out and say, I don't know where to start. I don't know even what I'm qualified for. I Some people have a really long gap. 20 years and the job title that they had doesn't exist anymore. 
they aren't sure what their skill set lends themselves to. So there's that. That's a big question. Another question is, like I said, you know, how do I, you know, best apply to this job? I can apply online, but I feel like I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm applying, but nobody, I'm not getting any responses. So, you know, those are answers to all those questions are typically network, 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 get on LinkedIn, network with as many people as you possibly can, talk to as many people as you possibly can, look at people's profiles on LinkedIn, see what they're doing, see where they got their start, see what technical skills they have, see who they know, have coffee with them, link in with them and say, hey, I would love to pick your brain. I, I'm, I'm interested in doing you know, what you're doing and I'd love to hear about your journey. And then people love to talk about themselves. So I would say, you know, let them do that and, and learn everything you can. So I know that's a long answer to your short question, but it's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of ways to go. And, and speaking of career pivots, I, I do know some professionals out there that did something else. So let's say they did banking, they took some time off, whether it's a raise mm-hmm. their kids or a taste of tobacco, but they don't want to go back into banking as part of their like returnship. They want to do something else. Let's say coding as an example. And then they do an educational course and try to get a job that way. Do you think that's recommended or is it better just to use your past experience and then maybe pivot when you are currently working? I think you can try both. I think if you really want to pivot, and I think a coding bootcamp is a fantastic idea, and that's why they exist for people who want to pivot. And it's also where the jobs are, right? So if you're seeing that there's, if you do some research and look at the data and see like, okay, well, it looks like there are a lot of openings for this type of job, or there's, you know, talk to recruiters and where are you seeing the most gap and where are you, where you, which roles are hardest for you to fill? Maybe that can guide you a little bit into the direction that you're looking for. Or maybe you look for something in the financial services industry with a tech bent to it. So it doesn't have to be banking specifically, but you can get a technical role in an industry that you have experience in. So you can use the industry as a bridge. I don't necessarily think you need to go back to exactly what you were doing. Is it a little bit of an easier story to tell? Yes. But you know, people are pivoting all the time and going different directions, but try to try to use what try to use your past industry or something as a as a connector whatever that is. It could be a person. It could be, oh, the CEO of this company went to this company and let me try to get a job there. Anything you can do to make that connection. But there are a lot of a lot of schools and boot camps that are, are there just, just for that purpose. And those schools have career fairs and they have a really, really good support system in place to help their graduates get jobs. Great. And I want to end this podcast episode with a question for you. So my podcast mm-hmm. is about overcoming career challenges. And in this uh, discussion, it was about overcoming career gaps. So what big challenge or career roadblock that you faced throughout your career or in your career that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? Well, I, as I mentioned before, I was out of work for 10 years. I took a 10-year work gap. That was a pretty big challenge. Now, it was a challenge that I, I chose. I chose to take a step back to raise my kids. My husband was traveling four days a week, so we decided okay, I will be the one that stayed home. It was really hard to get back. It was, I didn't know who would hire me. I didn't know what I was qualified to do. I was willing to do anything. And I think that helped me that I was really open, but it was, I, 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 fear, I faced a lot of rejection, a lot of sending resumes with no answer, a lot of first interviews, a lot of phone screens. I made a lot of mistakes and I learned from those mistakes, but I'm really thankful that it got me to where it did. And if I hadn't 
made those mistakes, I, I wouldn't have been hooked up with Addie, who's the CEO of our company, who eventually hired me. So it, it all worked out for the best. But I think, you know, taking a chance, making a mistake, owning it, learning from it and pivoting. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to just go for it. The worst thing that can happen is someone will say no, ask for that feedback. They're going to give you that honest feedback and say like, okay, thank you for the feedback. Feedback is a gift, like I like to say, and move on and use that to your advantage because the thing that you are meant to do is out there somewhere and it's you're just on a path to get there. You have overcome a 10-year workout and some of these professionals are like worried about like a one-year or two-year workout. So if, <laughs> again, if you can overcome a 10-year workout, you can overcome any workout at that point. 100%. Yes. A one year, I know it seems like a long time. It's really not that long. So I think, you know, it's just a matter of time before you go back to work. 100%. And how did you stay positive with all that rejection? You know, I talked to a lot of people. I networked a lot. I networked even with friends that didn't necessarily have the ability to help me find a job. I said to them, you know, what do you think I'd be good at? And what do you think about this feedback? Do you think this is true? And I always asked their advice about what they saw me doing and thought about that. But it, it you know, when you surround yourself with the, with a good support system, that definitely helps. And knowing that keeping your eyes on the prize, I guess, is like, you know, and definitely, there were definitely some days where I was down and feeling a little sorry for myself. And my, my confidence took a little bit of a hit from time to time. But, you know, the more I talked to the people who knew me well, the better I felt that I knew that it was just a matter of time before I found something and, and it was and, and they helped me stay positive. So keep surrounding your, yourself with the people that know you that support you and that believe in you so that you don't lose that confidence. Again, I appreciate the time, Mimi. And how can people connect with you or want to know more about uh, Reach Hire? So you can do a couple of things. Our website is reachhire.com, R-E-A-C-H-I-R-E. -E. We are launching programs for returnships all over the country. So go to our jobs page for details on that. And I'd love people to link in with me, Mimi Moss on LinkedIn. So please do reach out to me and connect with me. I'd love to meet anybody and, and uh, I love meeting new people on LinkedIn and networking and getting to know people that way. And if you want more information on retire for me directly, feel free to message me also. And I'm happy to connect you with one of our recruiters or tell you more about our programs. And I really appreciate your time, Max. Thanks for me. Again, really appreciate all the insights you provide for overcoming work gaps. I know a lot of professionals are struggling with work gaps right now, especially if they got laid off to COVID. So some of these tips and insights that you share, I think will definitely help them get to the next level. I'm so glad to hear it. I really appreciate it. Thank you again to Mimi for coming on my podcast and sharing her insights on resume gaps and how to overcome them. This is definitely a huge topic right now, especially with COVID still happening. So I hope with her strategies and insights that if you are a job seeker struggling with a resume gap currently, that this gives you clarity and confidence to push on in your job search. I want to close off this podcast by briefly providing a summary of what Reach Hire does. So Reach Hire works with progressive organizations to empower women and men to return to corporate America after being out of the workforce for an extended period of time, to raise children, take care of a sick family member, serve in our nation's military, or start their own businesses. 
Reach Hire's programs enables these candidates to embrace a community of support, training, and programming, allowing them to re-enter the workforce confident of the value they can add to an organization. So if you're a job seeker in the United States that currently has a long resume gap, definitely reach out to Reach Hire to learn more about their programs and how they can help you get back on your feet and get back into the workforce. If you want my own insights and commentary on this topic of resume gaps, make sure to check out ChanCap this upcoming Friday on all popular podcast platforms. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Again, this is Chan with The Plan of the Podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan, and I thank you for listening. Yeah.